0: I'm not great at following directions. More specifically, I'm not great at putting things together which require me to follow directions. It's not so much of a heart issue. It's more of a head and a hands problem. Uh, This is one of uh, my struggles every year at Christmas, If you give me a gift that says something along the lines of some assembly required, I assure you I will be disappointed with that gift no matter what it is. Or even worse, if I have to put together a gift for someone else that required me to put it together, I'm not going to be happy because I'm not any good at it. The fact is I need simple directions. Simple directions make it very, very clear to me, helps me. Yet, as hard as learning from directions may be for me, I assure you, there is no better feeling than that of the accomplishment when you actually have followed the directions and you put something together. Uh, It only took me eight hours to put together a bookshelf that I gave to a gift for family this year, and I felt so proud of myself at the end of the eight hours when it actually got together. But as we begin this new sermon series this morning, uh, what I hope we'll see as we examine the Lord's Prayer is a set of very easy directions for us as God teaches us how to pray. I wonder how many of you, as we begin this new year, may not often feel something like this in your heart. I wish I prayed more. Or why do I struggle to pray consistently? Or why do I often get confused when I'm praying? I think we all have a little bit of that inside of us. I think one of the reasons we often fail to pray, though, is that we simply just don't know how to pray. And sometimes we make it more complicated than it actually is, as if it is too complicated or the directions are too hard. That we know it should be simple, but in reality, sometimes it feels like it is not. And if you don't know how to do something, I assure you, you will get discouraged and you will not enjoy doing it. So thus, this series that we are embarking upon this winter will not aim to convince you to pray more. It really won't. It will not shame you for your lack of prayer. Rather, what we're going to see over these next couple of months is simply how Jesus teaches us to pray. And it is very clear and it is very encouraging and I dare say it is life-changing if we listen to His simple directions. And I hope for us as we begin this 2023 year that the Lord will mature our faith as he teaches us how to pray. Because when we know how to pray, we will enjoy it more, and I dare say we will pray even more. Now, look back at Matthew chapter 6, and before we dive right into the sermon, I suspect that we are all very familiar with these words. Christians or non-Christians alike or tend to uh, be familiar with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. I thought of this as I was preparing this week. Uh, When I was a freshman in high school a long time ago, I played on the ninth grade basketball team. I was the only player on the team who didn't score all year. That's a story for another day. But uh, we, before we ran out onto the court, we chanted the Lord's Prayer together. I don't know that any of us paid attention to the words. I have no idea where that tradition started, but I think it reveals just how common these words are. We're familiar with them as a culture. But before we dive into the sermon, let's just notice a few observations about this prayer. First, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but in reality, it should be called something different. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer, the Christian Prayer. You see, Jesus taught us to pray this, but this is not a prayer that he would have prayed. In this prayer, it talks about the forgiveness of sins. Jesus had none. So this prayer was given by him, but it is given to us as his followers. Also notice in the prayer, there are six different requests that Jesus gives to us, six different petitions, if you will. Most scholars interpret the prayer this way, and our Confession of Faith, the Westminster uh, Catechism, also addresses it as such. But within these six different requests, there are two groups of three. The first three focus upon the Lord, that is, hallowed be his name, his kingdom come, his will be done. Then the second set of three focus upon us, that is, our daily bread, our forgiveness, our deliverance from evil, etc., Church historians say that the dominant way of discipleship over the ages of the past 2,000 years has been a combination of three different tools. First, the Ten Commandments. Secondly, the Apostles' Creed. But then thirdly, the Lord's Prayer. That is how we act, what we believe, and how we communicate with God. And truthfully, what could be more important than that? But the final observation before we dive in is notice verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray. That is, there is an assumption that people who are Christians, who call themselves Christians, pray. It's what we do. Jesus is not introducing a new concept here. Rather, he is maturing what people of God have always been doing. It's a new way to pray, and we'll see a new name this morning, but it's not a new concept. It is assumed, if you are a follower of Christ, that you pray. So, for TCPC, over these next couple of months, as we prepare for Easter, my hope for us is that God will, through each of these six requests, as we tackle them one at a time, that God will grow our faith in him as he matures our prayer life. And as that happens, we will see more and more and more of his grace. So, this morning, we're going to look at request number one. And we will see how our lives are going to be reoriented completely by the direction that the Lord gives to us. It's simple, but it will change our lives. So two things from this first request. First, see the intimacy of God's name. And then secondly, see the priority of his name. The intimacy and the priority. And may God show us yet again the beauty this week of God's holiness... And what is true of us in Christ. Look back at these first two words of verse 9. And see the intimacy of our, our God's name. This prayer begins simply with these two words. Our Father. Our Father. The very first thing we must recognize in learning to pray. Is to embrace the way Jesus instructs us to address the God of the universe. And that is... Our Father, please stop here and be amazed at what Jesus has just said. I hope you see the significance this morning of what has just happened throughout redemptive history. Historically and theologically, something massive just occurred with these words. Something miraculous happened in the very beginning of this prayer, and we cannot overlook it. Because if we do, we'll miss all of Christianity. If we would have been in the audience... As Jesus was speaking that day. And we had heard Jesus speak and say that we should call God Father. We would have been very confused by what he meant. See, those folks in that day would have been very well versed in the teachings and customs of the Old Testament. It's all they would have known. And they had never heard an individual refer to God as their Father. This was new. Hearing this come out of Jesus' mouth was completely radical. It was a new statement. There are occasions in the Old Testament where God is indeed revealed as Father, 15 times to be exact. But all of those occasions were describing a statement of fact related to the nation of Israel and God is the Father of the nation. But never was an individual addressing the Lord in such an intimate, personal, and relational way. Never. Never. And truthfully, in that day as Jesus spoke, because of Israel's ongoing sin and rejection of his ways, the idea of an intimate term like father would have seemed even more remote to those who were listening to Jesus speak. But Jesus' words reveal what his life was all about. His purpose of coming was being realized right before their very eyes. And that is, our status was changing with the arrival of Jesus. Scholars also show that in the New Testament, there are 245 times that God is referred to as our Father coming from the mouths of individuals. That is, upon the arrival of Jesus, the intimacy of our relationship with God has now become common language, it's our new reality. Do you see from the very beginning of this prayer what Jesus has accomplished? What Jesus did accomplish? What his life, what his death, what his burial, what his resurrection, what it did? You see, we could do a whole sermon series just on these two words the fatherhood of God. But for today, I encourage you just to consider this one idea. And that is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been adopted. Did you know that? That's your status. That's who you are. We all know what adoption is in earthly terms, but in spiritual, biblical terms, that is also our description. Hear these words from Galatians chapter 4. Hear how Paul describes those who have faith in Jesus. He said this, We might receive... Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent His Spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You see, this morning, if you know Christ, adoption is your story. Adoption really is the theme of the entirety of the New Testament. You see, it's not just that our sins have been forgiven in Christ. That's not it, even though that is great. There's more to the gospel of Jesus. Adoption means that God took those who were not part of his family and he purchased them with a very high price, a high cost himself, so that those who would believe in him would have the privilege of having his family. Our adoption is that we are now part of God's family. If you know Christ, then what that means is Jesus is your brother and his father is now your father apart from God's work that would not be so that could not be so but Jesus is now instructing it is you see this morning you call the God of the universe your father now note we have to deal with this God is not from these words the universal father of all That's a mistaken view, but it's so common in our day. Some may say that we are all God's children because God created us. And yet, that is not what this passage says. God's children are only those who embrace Christ as their brother, who have God's spirit inside of them, who receive him, who receive his payment, who want him. So for you, though, Christian, of all that this means this morning, if you know Christ... You need to hear this. God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. God is not disappointed in you. If you know Christ, God is proud of you. He is your perfect father. You know, some of us have had great dads. Some of us have had terrible dads. Some of us had no dad at all in their life. But we all have this we have an idea of what a perfect father should be. Intuitively, we know that. We know that the perfect father is one who is strong, who is smart, who is tender, who's fun, who's wise, who's present, who's patient, who leads. Know this of the God of Scripture, the God who is in heaven right now who created all of the universe, who created mankind, who orchestrated all of the events of Scripture, who set the stars and the sun and the moon in place, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who is the God of the law and the covenants, of all that he is beyond what I have the ability to explain. He, that God, looks at you this morning in Christ, and he says, I am delighted in you. That's who you are this morning in Christ. Some of y'all know this, and many of you have given me a hug already this morning, but yes, Lisa and I did become grandparents last week. Uh, I intend to use him for every illustration going forward in all of my sermons. No, that's not true. But you think about it. For us as imperfect grandparents, imperfect parents, imperfect aunts and uncles, how we look at that little boy... We think he's great. We aren't great. He's not great, but we think he is. Just imagine how God looks at us in Christ. You see, the very beginning of this prayer establishes not just the ethos of the prayer, but of all of Christianity, all of it, because God is our Father. He's near to you this morning. He loves you this morning. He's proud of you this morning. He hears you. He sees you. He wants you. You don't need to be afraid. That's who God is. He is your father and he is in heaven, meaning he has all ultimate authority. Your dad is the king of the world. That's who you are if you know Christ. Our father reveals that. So let me ask you this morning, can you accept your place of privilege? Can you? You are loved and you are royal. So before we have even asked God to do anything, the opening of the prayer reminds our hearts of the miracle that has occurred in our life. and It's all because of his name. He's our father. Now, when reality sinks in and we embrace how God looks at us and he is proud of us, notice the first response of how we are to pray to him. We've seen the intimacy, now consider the priority of his name. Look back at the second half of verse 9. Hallowed be thy name. You know what every good parent wants for their children? Every good parent, every happy parent, every healthy parent. You know what parents want for their children? It's this. A good parent wants their kids to prosper in every way imaginable. That's what a good parent wants. Does it ask the question, what does our perfect father want for us? What does our loving father, our holy father, our kingly father, what does he want for his adopted children? He wants you to prosper beyond what you can imagine. So how does that begin? It begins with asking him for you to understand who he is. The very first thing we are to ask of our God is that we recognize him him properly, and that will in turn explain how we are to view ourselves. Again, the specific request here is that we, quote, hallowed his name. Now, to hallow is not a word that we use very often. I don't know that we ever use it anywhere other than here, but it simply means this, to set apart, to sanctify, to make holy. A better description is basically saying to honor God rightly. To esteem Him for who He is. This prayer essentially is one that is to focus our heart upon the greatness of God first. And when that happens, everything else will flow accordingly. This prayer sets us up nicely to do a future study on all the names of God. But for today, simply understand this. God reveals Himself and His power and His character through His names. And his name is to be set apart above all else. Jesus instructs us that the first thing we are to do is to ask God that we would honor him for who he is. Now let me repeat that and you're going to see a problem. Jesus instructs us that the first thing we are to do is to ask God, to ask him, that he would honor him for who he actually is. Did you catch the problem here? There's a trick. You see, you only have to ask somebody for something if you don't already have it. I don't need to ask you for something if I already possess it. Thus, Jesus would not be instructing us to ask for something if we already had that thing. Do you catch the problem? Do you see what's going on here and how this changes everything in our lives? It means that apart from God graciously answering this request, we would have no idea who God is. We would have no idea the true nature of who our Savior is. And if we don't know the real God, what we will do in turn is to create one in our own minds and our own imagination. And that is dangerous. Let me quote from the Westminster Catechism. Question 190 says this, Hallowed be thy name acknowledges our utter inability in ourselves to honor God rightly. So we must pray that he will enable us to esteem him for who he is. Folks, do you see the importance of this first request? If God does not answer this prayer, we will not know the true God, that we would never hallowed him in and of ourselves. Raymond Reddington is a fictitious leader in the TV show, The Blacklist. I don't know if any of y'all watch Raymond. He fascinates me. If you watch the show, you understand this. Reddington quickly is uh, recognized as the one who controls all the shots in the world. Uh, The Blacklist is a show about the FBI and a special crime force. But Raymond Reddington actually controls the FBI. He tells them what to do and the special task force what to do. In the show, he has his own secret operatives all over the world. He's got his own military, his own doctors, his own hospitals, his own spies, his own agenda. He's always two steps ahead of everybody else. It's as if the world is playing checkers and Raymond's playing chess. Everything is about him his life, his agenda, all that he is about. I can't decide if he is the devil or if he's good. I haven't figured it out yet. But either way, the world's about him. I think Raymond Reddington represents a little bit of the secret desires in all of our hearts. And that is apart from the Lord, if we're honest, don't we want the world to be about us? Don't we want the world to be reduced down to our own lives, our own agenda, our own wishes? Don't we want to reduce God down that we can make him who we want him to be? Don't we really want to be the center of attention? I think that's what's going on inside of our hearts. So understand this this morning, church. If you pray, hallowed be thy name, and God is gracious to answer that prayer, you know what will happen? By his grace you will begin to take your eyes off yourself and your agenda and your plans and your purposes and start to be enamored with the God of the universe and his plans and his purpose and his agenda. Is that what you want? Let's be honest. How would be your name is a scary prayer. John Calvin's commentary on this request says, If God answers this prayer, you will lose sight of yourself as you embrace his fatherly love for you. Church, isn't that what our souls really want? Don't we want to know a love greater than what we can produce? Don't we want power beyond what we can achieve? Don't we want the Father's perfect provision in his perfect way, in his perfect time, since it really is his world? Don't we want to know him as his children and receive all that he desires for us? It's to see that he is great and we build our lives upon him. When we do that first, then all of our other priorities are going to change. He is first. So if you've set New Year resolutions this year, I encourage you, pray this. Ask him to give you a greater view of himself in your heart. As you pray for your children this year, ask God to open their eyes to the greatness of God's holiness, to his majesty, to his kingly nature. And Jesus says he will do it because these are his very clear directions. This is not complicated, but it will change your life. The directions are clear. Hallowed be your name, not mine. You start here this year. You can trust that Jesus will guide you as you answer your prayer and lead you in a good way. Why can you trust him to do this? You know the answer. Because there was one time in which Jesus prayed when he was here on this earth where he did not call God his father. Only one. Every other time was my father. But there was one prayer. When he hung on the cross, and his prayer was this. My God and my God, why have you forsaken me? Me, your son, your only son. Why have you forsaken me? And the father did not spare him. And thus, when our faith is in this one who was sacrificed, we now know Jesus will never abandon us. The reason we can pray, hallowed be thy name, is we can trust the one who taught us how to pray. What Jesus is doing is good. Is he changing our agenda? Yes, he is. But can we trust him as he does that? Yes, we may. Hallowed be your name begins our prayer life. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's pray now to this great Father of ours as we prepare to receive his grace from his table this morning. Lord, as we consider these promises, as we consider this instruction, Father, we want to pray, but we're scared to pray. We need your grace. Father, we want to be in control of our lives, even though we know you are the author of life. So, Lord, it's in this confusion, would you remind us of your truths at this table? That, Jesus, you came for us, you died for us, you gave up your body, you gave up your blood. All of this is true so that we have your spirit and our future is found in you. So, oh God, I pray that you would strengthen us now. Help us to have a heart which desires to know and love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.